0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When a toddler has a meltdown, it can be very hard to know what to do. Do you pick them up and take them out of the public eye? Do you try to yell them? out of the tantrum? Or do you sit by them quietly until the moment passes? And if you do any of the above, what then? Maggie Dent is a parenting educator with a whole lot of heart. She's also recently released her own podcast with the ABC called Parental as Anything. Hi, Maggie. How are Hi, you? Hi, Chiffon. <laughs> now, what is happening when a child, any child, has a tantrum?
1: Okay. So there's A slight difference, too, between meltdown and and tantrum. Make sure I come back to that. So what actually happens for our little ones, and this goes all the way through to adolescence, remember, and even some grown-ups, really. So what happens is things trigger us to get upset. And with our little ones, it's quite often a combination of unmet needs. So they may not have slept that day. And then um, they um, are also struggling with a very loud sibling who seems to be getting a lot more connection with the parents than they are. So there's a little bit of jealousy going on in there. And then, of course, um, on top of that, they want the toy now. They have no concept of time. So when all all collides together, uh, it triggers the amygdala in the brain to feel we've got a threat for survival here. So it gets flooded with that cortisol, which is a ghastly feeling. Um, uric, um, basically, it's a ghastly feeling hormone. And then it f- gets so much at a point, it f- floods the brain and makes them feel so lousy that they have to do something to discharge it from the body so the screaming the stamping the yelling is a way to get rid of this ghastly horrible thing that's going on in their brain that floods into their body okay can you see that now it's actually normal ...for them to need to do these things when they're young, to get
0: them out. Now, you said there's a difference between a tantrum and a meltdown. What's that? Yeah.
1: Okay. So what we know is that um, little toddlers particularly, and fierce four-year-olds at times, um, uh, get flooded by lots of things, and all of a sudden there is a meltdown without necessarily seeing a trigger. Whereas the tantrum is no to the biscuit, it is the wrong color cup, <laughs> it is yes. my sandwich isn't cut in the right number of shapes, <laughs> and then I am gonna go in and express my extremely big feelings about this. So there's a little bit of intention, yeah. and we do know there is also that one other form of tantrum, which is the one that is planned, uh huh. Right, so that actually doesn't happen as often as we think, but we often assume. They're doing it to us. And that's a really big for them to know that in actual fact, so often they are unable to stop it. And let's go to the things. Let's go to the hot tip. So we've got this flooding about to happen. If you haven't been able to nip it in the bud and let's go to there, we can actually de-escalate it if we're quick enough, but you have to be pretty tuned into your kids and not far away from it. Um, And one really good tip I worked with one of my I've got grandies, of course, I'm in toddler land again. Um, at night, we used to say, Can we go say goodbye to the birdies? And if I get in quick enough and say, oh, I think I heard the birdies, do you hear a birdie? And what I'm doing is asking a question of something that's really deep in her psyche and it can flip from the back of the brain to the front. And she can pause mid scream and go, Birdies? You know, so it's, it's kind of a manipulating with love. So what's now happening is it is too late to <laughs> stop it, it's flooded. So my child now is not bad, not naughty. It's not coping. And in that not coping, what they need is a big, safe person to let this be okay. So, you know, and I, I think that's a really hard thing for us to do because we often immediately go, there must be something I should have done. What do I do now? So firstly, don't try and tell them to stop it. Has anybody ever calmed down when they're told to calm down? So that, in that, actual fact, they can't hear you. So that's a really big thing. The second one is that we want it out. We want them to actually allow a big, ugly feeling to do what it needs to do, and that is leave the body. And later on, I'd probably recommend teaching them to stomp their foot, yeah, and really own it rather than kick their brother or their sister or throw things around and break things. So can you see? So sometimes we're right beside them. And, you know, I, I still believe that there's a, a low tone that they can hear. They can't hear loud shouting, loud, loud commands, which will actually trigger it to go worse which means it takes them longer to come down. So my challenge is if you've got an old bedtime story, a song that you used to sing, start humming that or singing that softly because what you're also doing is trying to calm yourself down. And that's the next trigger because if we can hold the calm parent space while they're doing what is developmentally normal for young children, you will be able to bring them down, allow them to come down, and then we hold our arms open and go, I'm here. I'm here if you need me. Mm. And if they don't want the hug because they're still pit crabby, can I get you a drink of water? So I want to be able to recognise we're coming out the other end.
0: And is the response to a meltdown, which you mentioned, is different because it may not have a
1: trigger you recognise? Do you respond to the meltdown the same way as the tantrum? Technically, you do. Yeah, because at the bottom line, whatever's fired them into the tip-over point is still now an irrational response to a child who doesn't have the prefrontal cortex to go, gee, I've just noticed I'm really getting stressed. I'm probably going to need to do a downward dog or breathe (laughs) some deep breaths. (laughs) And how many of us do that too when we're crabby? So can you see, our kids need to have these opportunities to grow and um, that's the work that we now know. The more times we let them fire up and get to be really crabby and then help them come back down, the more the brain is learning how to do that one day by themselves, which is why they get a little bit better as they move into those, you know, like five, six and seven. Part of what you're talking about there, it sounds a little bit like
0: emotion coaching or what I
1: understand of
0: it. What is emotion coaching for those who haven't heard of it Beautiful. before?
1: So whatever has happened for that, um, remember our primary job now is to keep them safe, to bring them down, to reassure them that our heart's still open to them. The number one terror for children is you don't love me as a consequence of something I've done. So once we get the relationship and the connection coming again, that's an automatic karma, not in that moment would I actually have the conversation with the boy, but most girls you'll be able to say, so what, what really made that hard for you? So was it just your, your sister taking that off you or you know, are you hungry? So what we actually want them to do is to identify that there would have been something going on in there that if they can pick what it is, it's an unmet need of some kind, um, they might actually be able to ask us to meet that. Yeah, And it's not going to happen at two or three. It's getting there towards four. And also, you know, the coaching says, now, when that happens, this is okay. But we don't kick and we don't hit and we try not to break things. So, again, it's that. um, So, next time, maybe if you want to, run into your bedroom if you want to throw on your bed, find your teddy, curl up in a safe space and it will calm down. It will calm down and that you're not wrong and you're not bad. That's what coaching is. Big ugly feelings are normal. I need to help you label them and eventually down the track you will I'm so cross and so jealous. And I just love it because we've obviously got some granddaughters now who are much better than boys. Boys need 24 hours to be able to do that. And I have watched her really and she's jumps off to her room, slams the door like a 14-year-old. I'm so impressed with her ability (laughs) to really get out of it. And then she's at the end of her bed with her arms locked and she is breathing ferociously. She's also (laughs) heard my calming, angry aunt. And she's breathing and you'll go in. She just doesn't want you there for a while. And we need to work out, when do I come beside? Because every child will be a little bit different. And when you finally can come in, we plonk down. Mummy and I have worked this out. We plonk down next to her and match her body language. And... um, and we just say, are you okay now? And, she'll, and she'll, I'm just so cross. Or I am really jealous. Or I'm really, really, really wild because. And she puts it into words. Now, that's massive. And that's helpful. And we go, yeah, yeah, that would make me angry too. We validate it, it's okay. It's not as easy for boys. Mm. So seriously, that's the other part to emotional coaching, which sometimes for some of our boys needs a little bit more time for them to process and then remember it. But ultimately, our job is to identify this is actually something that became difficult for them. There is no intention very often behind them to be revolting in our presence. We are not lousy parents when our children have meltdowns. This is also developmentally quite normal. And once we get our head around those things, I think we are able to handle what happens with them.
0: Something I do here is when a child has a tantrum, people will say they're misbehaving, which you've already kind of yep. knocked that yep. down as a myth. What about when the child has a tantrum or a meltdown, after they've done something wrong, I might be taking this from my own life experience, <laughs> and you tell them it was wrong for you to hit your brother, and so they have a reaction to that. I didn't hit my brother. I know you hit your brother. I was there. I saw it. Um, And you say you try to be firm and then they have a tantrum. But you can still see the same effect happening. You can still see the fear in their eyes and you can see it escalate. How do you manage emotion coaching in that setting when they are having a tantrum because they – behaved in an inappropriate way Mm. and you're trying to teach them that but you're also trying to be understanding of the emotions that that brings up for them
1: yeah so one of the reasons they behave like that is they actually are terrified you're going to stop loving me yeah and no child wants to be scolded and made to feel wrong and yet there's a part of that that's quite valid so I want parents to relax around that and know that at some point you will have these moments where you know that this isn't, this isn't really what I wanted. And now I've got a tantrum because I'm handling something, which is because, of course, I'm trying to set firm boundaries and be responsible and be the big person for the other child who nearly had their head ripped off. yes yeah yeah and um so in that moment again, it's about the safety. I would scoop that child up or the other child and just scoop them away and just walk away and give us some space to allow that. So if they want to run that tantrum out, they don't have a performance to achieve, you know, like we've removed the audience, and then take care of the one who was actually hurt and reassure them, and then you won't need as long to return back into that space and go, "Hey, you okay?" So that was really hard for you, yeah. Does it make sense again? Because what's actually happening in that is they also were flooded and you have actually made the right call to protect the child. That's absolutely your job. And you may also say again, are you okay? Just, just basically I need to know you're okay because that is immediately me reconnecting to them again with love. And then you also may walk away. And go and get that cup of coffee. You need to recover (laughs) and eat chocolate because you have just reconnected, but you don't have to go and pander and try and fix that problem because they are still de-escalating. They are also reflecting on what was going on. So there's a part of awareness around that because it was a kind of planned event rather than the, oh my goodness, I'm not coping event. Yeah, So that's kind of, again, the emotional coaching sort of stuff. And every now and then, I think we have to be realistic that sometimes in the midst of these things, we need to put our hands up and go, whoa, stop, I just, mum is just going to go in the bedroom for a while because she is really starting to get really cross. I'm going to leave you two here for a moment. I'll be back soon. I'm just going to go and calm down, lock the door in your bedroom, (laughs) eat the chocolate, do whatever you need to do for a moment and really regroup yourself because what helps de-escalate children more than anything is a grounded, anchored, safe, big growing up
0: something that I also struggle with is I have often listened to your conversations about tantrums and I have found it works, um, particularly with my boy. If he's having a tantrum and he's cross and he's crying and he's like, I'm not going there. If I leave him for a little bit and then I meet him while he's still crying and give him a cuddle, he comes out of it much quicker than my daughter ever does. But I must admit, my husband thinks that I'm a pushover, Hmm. and he'll. And you hear a lot of people talk about this idea of permissive parenting. In my mind, there's a difference between permissive parenting and empathetic parenting with boundaries.
1: Well done. (laughs) No, seriously, (laughs) something. No, 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 seriously, absolutely right. And this is it's a shift because we're moving, Siobhan, from a time where we were raised around the need for children to be punished when they behaved in a way we didn't want so that they would remember next time to not do it. But what we do there is we actually weaken the relationship. So the research is so much stronger now that when there's a strong heart-centered relationship with our our children, they are motivated to be more what we want them to be. They're not driven out of fear. They're not driven out of, my gosh, I better do this now or I'm going to get really growled at. Yeah, which is—it's actually not about that caring space. So I know there are people who definitely think that—that that what we're doing here is again. Remember the difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is I'm going to inflict some sort of pain on my child in order for them to learn, which at some point teaches them to do that to others. It also teaches them that you do all sorts of things to avoid punishment. So we become a bit underground terrorist instead of above ground. And at the end of the day, um, that isn't going to raise the child you want. Yeah. So the firm boundary. So discipline is about I'm going to be the firm boundary. This is it. This is okay in our house. And no is no. Yeah. And mainly you need to do that with the roosters because most lambs don't even know there's a boundary. And that ultimately it is my loving and caring firmness that will make the significant shift in your children. And I want to throw out one fabulous line for those who've got babies and toddlers. There seriously is life at the end of that tunnel. Haven't you noticed how far between those tantrums that as they get four to five? And then you'll turn around one day and go, my God, when was the last one? <laughs> they're seriously. I'm not there yet. Yeah, they're seriously. <laughs> at the end of the day, there is a time where they will conquer those sorts of things. Is and, that like for two years before they become teenagers? <laughs> It is actually almost a bit like that. They, we sort of say eight to ten. It's this great window we have these jo- just joyful relationships just before everything goes a little different. Excellent. Well, we've got something to look yeah, forward yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, seriously. Brilliant.
0: Maggie, thank you so much <laughs> for Thanks your time. So much. <laughs> That's Maggie Dent. She's a parenting educator. Sorry, I'm just going to do a big outro because we'll play them towards October. Uh-huh. Yep. That's Maggie Dent. She's a parenting do you want... Yep. <laughs> That's Maggie Dent. She's a parenting educator and the marvelous Maggie is doing an event in Sydney just for babyology. She'll be joined by some of my favorite experts like psychologist Karen Young from Hay Sigmund and parenting educator Warren Can from what do we say the parenting from the parenting research center. It's called Raising Brave Kids and it's happening on Sunday, October 13. Check out the babyology website for details.